The new Health Canada-funded guidelines, which were released by the Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction this week, recommend revising safe drinking limits, arguing that beyond one to two drinks a week, you are increasingly at risk of a range of condition, including heart disease, stroke, and cancer. But before you throw out your wine collection... Let's try some perspective. This is part of the opening uh, of a, a great little article in the Globe and Mail written by our next guest. The title of the article, Canada's Drastic New Alcohol Guidelines Demand a Closer Look. The author of said piece, Professor Dan Mellick from the Department of Health Sciences at Brock University in Ontario. Professor Mellick is a medical historian who specializes in drug and alcohol regulation and policy. Professor Mellick, Dan, good morning, sir, and welcome. Good morning. Happy to be here. Thank you. Well, it's good to have you with us. This uh, this comes from the University of Victoria, the Canadian Centre on Substance Abuse and Addiction. Uh, and you argue, basically, that the samples and the guidelines were based on studies that uh, they say 6,000 studies, but diving into the, the nuts and bolts of it all, you discovered that, well, in, in fact, there's quite a limited number of studies that were used in the modelling. Yeah, so yeah, they do say they, they started with about 6,000 studies done over the last several uh, years. And they, the whole point was to, quote, update the guidelines yeah. from, from uh, 2011, I think, <clears throat> which you remember were 10 to 15 drinks a week. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, so, so when you look at how they, they, they used a fairly sophisticated and complex way of sorting out which articles which uh, reviews and which studies would, would be in their uh, data, in their evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I mean, it's really kind of hard to understand, but also hard to, um, like, there, there's a, there are a lot of co- uh, judgment calls on what goes in. And, and they talk a lot about high quality, but um, there's some questions about how to assess quality and the type of studies they look at tended to um, not consider some of the broader ways that people use alcohol and the, the sometimes positive place that alcohol can can have in someone's life, that the, the role that can play in someone's life. So so along with really narrowing um, the research it uses, um, but also always saying we started with 6,000, which, which I think feels to me like they're trying to make it sound like it was 6,000 studies said this, but they didn't. Right. Um, there's also some interpretations that are questionable. And you talk about uh, the fact that uh, the name of this outfit, the CCSA, the Canadian Centre for Substance Abuse and uh, Use and Addiction, yeah. is actually, they're harm-focused. Uh, yeah. they, they talk about substance use and addiction, but you say the focus is on the negative side of use. This organization exists to yeah. look for harm in the name of health. And through yeah. that lens, there's no opportunity for any benefits. My doctor years ago, Dan, recommended a glass of wine a day is probably really good for your blood. So do enjoy in moderation. I have followed his advice religiously ever since. And that's a benefit. It was explained to me as a benefit. Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, so when I when I say this, the CCSA is harm focused. It doesn't mean that they're just, they're just uh, trying to distort data intentionally. What right. it means is, you know, there's that saying, when your only tool is a hammer, all problems look like nails. And mm-hmm. their tool is harm. Like, their view is harm, and, and so they look for harm. So talking about the benefits of alcohol, 
um, they're more skeptical about any of that research than they would be about harm research, right? Like finding harms. And uh, you're right. Your do- many doctors have said this. There's evidence that red wine, for example, yeah. um, increases what they call the viscosity of blood and stuff like that. And, and there's a lot of debate in, around that, and mm-hmm. that's fine. That's what research does. It, it sort of advances and clarifies debate. But to ignore stuff that's um, a benefit, or not ignore, but marginalize, minimize, and, and basically try to uh, ex- exclude um, uh, evidence of benefits because you're focused on finding harm is, <clears throat> I think, really problematic. And there's also a cultural dimension to this whole conversation, Professor Malik, that yeah. was, and again, not ignored necessarily, but just avoided in this yeah. report and in yeah. the recommendations. Uh, alcohol, for better or worse, is very culturally integral to what the, to the way we do things. Uh, imagine a wedding without a toast to the bride and groom. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And that's Another thing that people really, um, we, ha- we, we have this weird sort of cognitive dissonance, like, like holding two contrary ideas in our minds about alcohol at the same time, especially in North America, where it's considered a problem. With, and and people, some people do really have problems with it, so I'm not denying that. It's considered a problem. We focus on like alcoholism and drunk driving and those things, which are you know, ex- examples of some of the problems sure. that come from alcohol. But then at the same time, we bring a bottle of wine to a party. We toast people at weddings. If we're really stressed out, we might have a drink just to relax, or we take a friend out for a drink to sort of, you know, if something bad or good is happening in their life. Mm-hmm. So it, it is part of that as well. And it's not just because there's like a symbolic meaning of alcohol, like we could, tra- uh, you know, replace it with grape juice. It's because even just a little bit of alcohol that can kind of relax you a bit, for some people that really helps. It really helps them kind of quote, take the edge off, right? right? And, and on top of that, um, it's also a form of socialization. So again, or it's part of our socialization. So again, the wedding is an example or taking friends out for, for a drink where, <clears throat> excuse me, um, like uh, a researcher recently in Simon Fraser University did a great piece on, in the conversation. Uh, he's a researcher on social connectedness and the tremendous health benefits of, social, of having a good social network, having... Mm-hmm having connection, right? And this is, this is research that roots back to, a, interestingly, about the same time the last guidelines were made, right? Um, which uh, says in very compelling ways that um, having good social connections is more protective of your health even than quitting smoking. And I'm not saying people shouldn't quit smoking, right. but that we know how beneficial that can be. Imagine something that's even more beneficial. And alcohol can play a role in that. And that is absolutely not in the calculation of the CCS. And this is not to in any way downplay the the findings that their consumption of alcohol can lead to an increased risk of developing certain types of cancer and other uh, physical ailments. Uh, that's not that's, it's not saying oh no no that that's wrong. That it, it's simply I think uh, and uh, from what I took from your article in the Globe and Mail was basically that's that may entirely be true, and it does represent a risk to responsible drinkers. However, uh, two drinks a week is, uh, you refer to them as 19th century temperance movements in that sort of recommendation. Yeah, it really is. I mean, this is my view. As a historian of alcohol, I've looked at temperance, I've looked at policies that encourage moderation for over a century. Well, I haven't been doing it for over a century, but it's stretched back over a century. And, um, yeah, and that's the same sort of thing. And some of the rhetoric 
is also very temperance-oriented. So in their recommendation, they say eight drinks or more, what's the word they use, radically increases your um, risk of these illnesses. Right. But radic- I mean, I don't know what radical increase to you means, but in their evidence, when they're talking about things like stroke and um, heart, uh, heart disease, which actually are per- the, up to seven drinks a week is, is protective, like you actually have a lower risk than a non-drinker, mm. um, in their data... Um, the next number they have is 14 drinks a week, and it increases your risk by 4%. Now, I don't know <laughs> about you, but I don't consider a 4% risk radical. Right. Um, and the other issue of risk, I mean, I, I'm not going to deny that cancer is a horrible thing, and uh, I hope nobody ever gets it, but people do get it. But when you're talking about risk in the way they talk about it, they do have some tables that show years of life lost if you drink, which is kind of a complicated thing to understand because it's not years, it's months and days. Mm-hmm. But um, when they talk about like your risk of, of, of um, what's the language they use, the increased risk of disease and injuries, um, they're using a, what's called relative risk. So it's relative to um, a non-drinker. They don't actually show what the risk is for a non-drinker to contract these diseases, just saying relative. So if you say a 100% increase in your risk of getting, say, liver cancer or sort of liver cirrhosis, for example, right. they say at three drinks a week, um, that's compared to someone who doesn't drink, right? So, of course, alcohol really is a hit on your liver um, in excess. Uh, so it's it's really distorting that kind of risk. Um, so So even saying that there is a risk of cancer doesn't kind of frame it as how much of a risk and is it really the kind of risk that you're like like do we do we remove everything in our lives that has risk we just basically would stay at home which actually just staying at home alone is also a hit to your health well no kid and and uh, about that human connectivity thing that yeah, you were talking exactly. about earlier boy the pandemic sure taught us a big lesson about the yeah. need to uh coexist physically yeah. with yeah, other yeah. people dan malik i'm afraid i'm out of time sir and i'm grateful for yours it's a terrific article i'm commending it to my listeners right now canada's drastic new alcohol guidelines demand a closer look it's in the globe and mail just a few days ago google it it's a terrific read dan malik thank you for this. Uh, Glad to have found you, sir. Love the opportunity to speak to you again. My pleasure. Anytime. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.